Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, people are discussing whether this election will give birth to another dictator <laughs> or potential dictator. I think that's the that's the burning question here, Aris. Right. Hello, Nyambung people. Welcome back to the podcast where we can be clicked and connect. You can learn about new things, understand better on some things, and let's talk about social policies issues around us. Today, I'm going to get you clicked with the 2022 Philippine election. It's a presidential and vice presidential election that are going to be held on May 9th, 2022 roughly about one month from now. So it's very timely that we talk about it. It has been drawing lots of opinions because of some controversies <laughs> representing some of the different political figures. So of course, uh, let's talk about this and it's not appropriate for me to talk about this alone. Let's invite one of my very special friend, who is not just friend, but a brother to me. <laughs> and guess what? He is also a Philippine political scientist, an expert in political, uh, the politics of the Philippines, uh, Professor Aries Arugay. Hi, Aries. Hi, uh, Dr. Dina. Uh, a pleasant day to you and your uh, viewers and listeners. Uh, it's a pleasure to converse with you with our upcoming elections, which is uh, the political temperature here in Manila and, and throughout the country is getting hotter and hotter, as, as hot as our summer. <laughs> <laughs> in the Philippines, you know, so you know when you say really hot, like, and the Filipinos say it's hot, it must be really hot. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> hot and sticky. So right. maybe before we start, you should introduce uh, your... Um, Instagram or Facebook, your SOSMED, so people can also follow you, Aris? Sure. Uh, you can search for me on, on Facebook, but uh, I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Aris Arugay, just one. Uh, continuous, uh, uh, let, continuous letters. And um, uh, you can also check the uh, social media handles of the UP Department of Political Science. And um, as well as uh, right now, I'm actually a non-resident fellow of the Institute of Southeast Asian Studies in Singapore, where I uh, do research and write on, in fact, uh, the coming elections. So uh, this is something that you can also uh, see in the uh, website of ICS and its uh, blog, which is named uh, Fulcrum. Okay, excellent. As I said, his already like a brother to me. We've known each other for decades. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> You're right. Um, but uh, it, it makes me feel uh, old, but um, I, don't, I don't feel it. Uh, no, 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 no. We not at great. all. <laughs> <laughs> and mutual admiration uh, society here, uh, my sister. Uh, so, Aris mentioned that he uh, is part of the UP. UP is University of Philippines. Mm -hmm. uh, located in Quezon City, uh, Diliman, Quezon City, uh, Philippines, uh, where he's now a professor. I admire you for that. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's younger than me, but, you know, I don't know what he does or he eats so many <laughs> papers. <laughs> uh, 
we're going to talk about that part later, you know, in the second segment. But uh, for this part, we are talking uh, more into the Filipino politics, yeah? So before I start, let me thank our subscribers. Our I welcome also the new subscribers and our loyal listeners for supporting us, uh, liking the video, commenting, and giving me ideas on what's next uh, should be discussed. And of course, by sharing this video uh, to your community, we are also uh, raising more awareness about socio-political issues around us. So I would love to hear your inputs. So please, please submit your thoughts. It will be a joy for me. So let's start the discussion. Um, Arias, uh, when it comes to this uh, upcoming election on May 9th, can you please explain what's the difference uh, between this upcoming elections and the previous ones that uh, Philippines had? What should we know uh, right. about this election? Right. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, uh, unlike the Indonesian presidential system, uh, our current president, Rodrigo Duterte, is not liable for re-election because our president uh, can only serve a single term of six years throughout his or her lifetime. So uh, uh, Duterte is banned from running uh, under the current uh, presidential system. So that's the first, um, I think, thing that I want to share. And second, uh, similar to other countries, this will be the first election uh, in the context of a pandemic. Uh, and therefore, uh, just like in any other countries, we're uh, anticipating some impact, although not very large because at present, the pandemic situation in the Philippines is not so bad. Uh, <clears throat> at the moment, we are getting around maybe just 500 to 600 cases a day, and we are in the most uh, lax uh, alert level or, or restriction. And it seems like it's back to normal with the exception that people are just wearing masks. Uh, that's the only difference. But as you may uh, see from a quick Google search of election-related developments, uh, we have massive campaign rallies, uh, massive uh, uh, turnout in a lot of uh, political activities, political campaigning of politicians. Uh, and um, things will pick up in the coming uh, weeks. You've mentioned it's almost... Uh, more a little more than a month before uh, the elections. The third is that uh, I think this election is uh, getting the interest of a lot of people outside because you know historically Filipinos are always interested in elections. We love elections. I mean, we're the oldest country in Asia that adopted democracy and has had the most experience with elections. I think we've had elections direct elections for more than 100 years uh, since the Commonwealth uh, under American rule. So Filipinos attach a huge significance with elections. For them, this is the only way to transfer power that is acceptable and legitimate. And um, this makes our voting turnout quite high. On average, we are around 70 to 80 percent. Uh, developed democracies in the West sometimes only have 20% voting turnout, right? So Filipinos uh, see them as important events and Filipinos need not, a lot of them need not be forced to go out and cast their ballot, right? You know this, you, you studied Philippine politics quite a bit when you were 
our visiting fellow in uh, the UP Department of Political Science, right? But I think part of your question, Dina, is about who is running, right? Um, or yeah, you and, will get it. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, people are discussing whether this election will give birth to another dictator <laughs> or potential dictator. I think that's the, that's the burning question here, Aris. Right, right. Well, because in a way, uh, this election has really caught the attention of people worldwide because of who is running. And the current front runner, if we are to rely on polls, on, on surveys, is no other than the namesake and son of uh, our very controversial past dictator, Ferdinand Marcos. And I do think uh, a lot of people, very few people do not know the name Marcos. Um, if you remember when Transparency International had a top 10 corrupt leaders in the modern period or, or of all time, the number one leader is former Indonesian President Suharto. And the second placer is our president and dictator, Ferdinand Marco. So it, we're not really far behind. In, but we do have another president in that top 10 list. So in a way, we, we have two leaders. Uh, Joseph Estrada was our leader back in the late 80s. But going back to the Marcoses, uh, it's quite unimaginable for some that you would have the son of Marcos running for president. And not only that, but seems to have a strong shot at winning. Because if we rely on the surveys, uh, now there's a debate whether to believe the surveys because a lot of people don't think that his numbers are that high. He's currently polling. Some surveys put him around 51%, which is a majority. But a more controversial survey actually puts him, the last month survey of Pulse Asia puts him at 60%. And then the, the second placer, who is the current vice president, uh, Lenny Robredo, a, a female and um, I would say the most maligned and criticized opposition figure under the Duterte administration is only polling around uh, 15 to a high of 19%. So there's, a, there's this big margin, right? But one thing that I want uh, to, for your Indonesian listeners to understand is that we have a different system. I know that in Indonesia, there's a process for one to become a presidential candidate. Right. Right. You need to be nominated by a party that is able to surpass a certain threshold in the parliamentary election. And not only that, you have a runoff system, meaning the president needs to be elected by a majority. We don't have those two conditions. Yeah. You have to be winner takes all, right? One time. Yeah. One time. Plurality. So you don't, we, we, we never had since democracy was restored in 1986. We've never had a president that has more than 50 plus 1% of the vote. Even Rodrigo Duterte only got 36% of the vote in 2016. So uh, that means that if Marcos's numbers will be maintained, and, and these are really the numbers, because you know when we do surveys, the question is, if the elections are held today, who will you vote for? Right? And a lot of people are saying this is not the same as really asking people who will they vote for on May 9th, on actual election day. 
But if Marcos does translate that poll number from 50 to 60 to actual electoral result, then you're talking about the first majority elected president under a winner-take-all system in our history. And, and that's a huge mandate. For, for a son of, a of our dictator who unabashedly is running on a campaign that is nothing else but bring back the martial law years. And, and I think this is why you were saying earlier that there's this idea that there might be a new dictatorship. Yeah, I mean, it's it's maybe too strong, I, I realize, but uh, I just want to put it up front here that that's a big concern from, mm -hmm. you know, uh, being discussed around here. Uh, would you think the fact that he is running, I mean, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., I cannot believe that's the real, uh, <laughs> the name really, <laughs> uh, really exactly the same like the father. Uh, uh, is it because uh, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. or Bong Bong, is actually running with the uh, daughter of a mm -hmm. current president. Is that what makes right. him popular? Right, right. So you're you're correct. The the vice presidential candidate, that that the tandem of Marcos, uh, is with President Duterte's daughter. And during the nomination process, meaning the uh, the last day wherein people can file their candidacy for those top two positions, Sarah Duterte, in fact didn't apply uh, to be a vice presidential candidate. And she said that she will not, she's not interested in any national position. But this is a copy of what President Duterte did in 2016. Uh, Duterte, the father, didn't really actually declare that he's going to run until the last possible day it's allowed. He actually was a substitute for someone who filed um, in, in, in October of 2015, and then only in December 2015, with almost five months before the elections, was there an exchange with Duterte. Sarah Duterte did the exact same thing, but for the vice presidency. And why do I say that? Uh, how do I respond when you ask whether Marcos's numbers is affected by Sarah Duterte's popularity? Definitely. Because... We had surveys before, the earlier surveys, maybe September of last year, wherein Sarah Duterte was still in the running for president. So you have Marcos's numbers and Sarah Duterte's numbers, and Sarah Duterte's numbers are actually higher than Marcos's numbers. So when Marcos was able to successfully convince, this is the theory, she, he convinced Sarah Duterte to run not for president, but for vice president and be his running mate, uh, that somehow ensured that Marcos will inherit the support of Sarah Duterte. So you're basically talking about the alliance of two presidential offsprings, right? Yes. Uh, and not only just any other ordinary presidents, but these are presidents that have outright authoritarian tendencies, two strong men, right? Uh, Marcos and Duterte. And I think that's part of, and, uh, of, of their appeal. And I think you understand this in Indonesia as well, authoritarian nostalgia uh, for the Marcoses. And uh, we can delve about it, how, what social media's role is and disinformation. 
But I just want to say that, uh, in fact, historically, this is not the first time that an offspring of a president is trying to be president. Because before we have, before Duterte was president, we have Aquino, who's the son of Cory Aquino. Yes. And before Aquino, we have Gloria Macapagal Arroyo, who, who was the daughter of President Macapagal, the president before Marcos's martial law. So it's quite normal. And this is because, uh, I don't know if that is also the term you use in Indonesian politics, but because in the Philippines, we don't have parties. Our parties are just uh, uh, alliances of political dynasties. And it's actually political families that uh, dictate politics more than parties. I think that's, that's important for anybody studying Philippines politics. You need to read those literature uh, in order to understand why people say political parties doesn't matter because it keeps changing, but you need to pay attention to the figures. Now, maybe let's move to the point uh, or this question whether people are actually enthusiastic about it. Is, is he, uh, Marcos and uh, Sara Duterte, creating um, some kind of... Um, anxieties among the society or is this just you know asked uh, who already experience and see things uh, before who are right. saying too much right right well there's historically there's always been resistance against the marcoses and uh, uh, there's always a segment of society who believes that they should not be given any space in in the political uh, dispensation or in the political arena so therefore, a lot of those who believe in democracy, believe in uh, liberal principles like human rights, see the Marcoses, uh, and especially the son, uh, because his entire campaign is simply to bring back all the policies that his father put in place. Uh, and in fact, the greatest fear is that they will concentrate so much power that it will be like as if the Marcoses were ruling the Philippines with an iron hand. They, they're, they're thinking that if they did that in the 70s, doesn't matter that it's already 2022, that they can do it again, right? Which for me is, you don't really understand how the world has changed since the Cold War, right? How, how um, but we also know that there's this global wave of populist strongmen that somehow uh, justifies this type of, of politics. So I think the Marcoses uh, will always face resistance. It's just a matter whether that resistance is enough. Uh, we see that there's, there seems to be uh, a, a uh, concentration of that anti-Marcos sentiment uh, with the campaign of the current vice president, Lenny Robredo, who, who heads the opposition against Duterte, but also is seen as the, the more liberal democratic candidate. Um, she actually doesn't come from any dynasty, but like Cory Aquino, she was also a widow of a quite famous politician who served uh, in Aquino's cabinet in 2010. And she was unintentionally pushed into politics after, the, uh, after her husband died of a tragic uh, airplane in accident. Uh, so, but Lenny Robredo represents uh, for, uh, for a lot of Filipinos represents um, a polarizing figure, as you mentioned before, 
because those who are pro Marcos or pro Duterte thinks that she is the worst politician. But um, they couldn't quite justify it because she has never been involved in any corruption allegation. She has actually rendered public service at the height of the pandemic when Marcos Jr. was nowhere to be seen. And the only COVID thing he was able to do is to actually acquire COVID, right? But for Robredo, uh, she has been maligned and a victim of the disinformation network and architecture put up by Marcos and we would say the allies of President Duterte that for now, she can't. Re- um, she has difficulty expanding her support base. Uh, but I think there's a movement right now. There's, there seems to be a lot of people being convinced simply because uh, she has uh, presented a, a better, more detailed platform. And she has, and her claim is that I have the evidence to prove that I'm not just here because it's election campaign, but I've actually been rendering public service. I've been at the site of natural disasters, typhoons, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, and of course, during the COVID-19 pandemic. But um, thank you for bringing uh, the attention to the other candidates, not just uh, Marcos and uh, Sarah, but also Lenny Robredo. Uh, I understand there are also other candidates, right? Uh, Of course variety of uh, backgrounds from uh, mayor to senators boxers <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so t- tell us about the the rest and why okay. why aren't they as uh, popular in the polls right 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 so let's remember that uh, because we don't have that nomination process that uh, and runoff system then uh, uh, our entry to becoming a presidential candidate is a bit more open than in indonesia so if we rely on the polls, there are five major presidential candidates. So you already have Marcos and Robredo. Um, the third uh, in the polls is incumbent city mayor of Manila, the capital of the country. Uh, his name is Francisco, or his nickname is Isco, Isco Moreno, uh, who used to be a, a movie star. So therefore, this is again, uh, cookie cutter Filipino politician, right? Popular, popular figure. Yeah, popular figures, right? Uh, and then the fourth would be, everyone knows him, a globally recognized boxer, but also incumbent senator, uh, Manny Pacquiao, right? Uh, you may wonder why is he trailing when he's this famous, famous figure, right? Um, a lot of factors. One thing is that he, he, he was abandoned by actually his party, which is the administration party of the Duterte uh, government. Uh, we called it PDP Laban. Laban is like perjuatan in, in Indonesia, like struggle. Man. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's my lame attempt at, at uh, Indonesia. But what, what I'm uh, saying is that uh, uh, Pacquiao doesn't have a lot of political allies. And I do think a lot of Filipinos. Uh, because he didn't really do well when he ran for the Senate. He did not place highly in the... We elect senators uh, every three years, uh, every three years, 12 of the half of the 24-member Senate. They're nationally elected. So when he ran, he wasn't really placing at the top of the 12 spots. 
I think a lot of Filipinos wanted him to just be remembered as a as a as, as an amazing boxer, and um, his um, his uh, amateurish stance on politics is quite evident. Like a lot of people say, he has the noblest intention, but you know, in politics, that's never enough, right? And the fifth is uh, someone who wants to imitate President Duterte by carrying, he's a former police general. He used to head the Philippine National Police, but currently also an incumbent senator, Senator Ping Lapson. Um, he wanted to copy Duterte's peace and order, security, you know, um, some kind of Jokowi-like uh, peace and order, more security, um, iron hand uh, 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 policies. Uh, but it seems like that doesn't work as well because uh, uh, people have seen it and people have bought that. And uh, when you're faced with like a figurehead, like a brand like Marcos that seemed to be able to magically get some of those characteristics. Um, and a lot of people, for example, see that if anyone who could continue what Duterte has started, it's not Lacson, it's not the mayor of Manila, Moreno, but it's actually Bongbong Marcos. So the front runner is technically Bongbong Marcos and Lenny Robredo. Yes. So it seems like we're headed towards that two-cornered fight that 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 the uh, uh, one uh, uh, one on one me, uh, but uh, Dina, this is a replay. This is the second round of their battle for the vice presidency in 2016 because both Marcos and Robredo ran against each other in 2016 as vice president, and Marcos Jr. lost in that election. This right. is the only election that Bongbong Marcos lost in his entire political career. And it was because of Lenny Robredo. And, uh, but Duterte has not fully recognized uh, Robredo, and this is why she has been ostracized uh, from, from his government. He, he, she was fired from her cabinet post. Uh, she was given the housing and urban development portfolio. After a few weeks, she was kicked out from that, and she was never allowed in cabinet meetings. And she has been seen as an outsider of the Duterte administration. You know, being president is not just about uh, politics. You need to uh, be able to network and being accepted also by different uh, actors, including economic actors. So internationally, who do you think uh, is more uh, acceptable or, you know, more favored, uh, if we can say, between these two? Right. It, it might depend on who you ask, but uh, Bongbong Marcos and the Marcos family actually has a conviction from a U.S. court that actually prevents them from visiting the United States. So it would be quite interesting if you have a, Phil if you have a Philippine president who is not even allowed to step on U.S. soil, right? Uh, because of change, a right? Usually, once you're elected, then... <laughs> well, you know what? Um, it, it might depend because... I, I tell you the truth, Rodrigo Duterte is the only Philippine president who has never visited the United States because his visa was also canceled many years ago before he was president by the United States. And, and because of that, he has refused 
In fact, he has not visited a Western country at all in the six years that he's president. He, he didn't go to Europe at all. He went to Russia, well, you could, but, but he never went to Western Europe. Um, he, he also cursed the, the European <laughs> Union, just like he cursed uh, Obama, right? Uh, but um, Marcos, uh, in, terms of inter- in terms of confidence in the economy, a lot of investors were surveyed, and Marcos was almost the last candidate that they preferred. Uh, they preferred Robredo because she only is not simply someone who has a detailed economic plan for recovery for the Philippines because we had the steepest economic decline in Southeast Asia during the pandemic. Our recession was double digit, was 16%. It was really a deep dive. Uh, when before we were one of the most dynamic economies in Asia, we were registering 6-7% GDP growth rate for 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 almost a decade, uh, but we had the steepest decline. And uh, until now, uh, we still haven't fully addressed and recovered from that decline. But also in terms of foreign uh, other actors, uh, Robredo has promised that she will um, invoke the arbitral award given to the U.S., uh, I mean, given to the Philippines after it, it won its case against China. And she is more towards... Uh, having a more multilateral approach, meaning inviting allies, inviting um, countries who share similar values on international law, multilateralism, and the rule of law. Uh, Bongbong Marcos, on the other hand, uh, uh, what has, has said that he would rather engage China in a bilateral diplomatic manner. And we all know the disadvantage of that, given the power asymmetry, between China and any other small country that it wants to negotiate with. And uh, it, it implies there, uh, maybe ASEAN would get more attention from Robredo than Duterte. I mean, Duterte, Duterte uh, and Bombong. Eh? <laughs> Bom right, Bom. right, right. Because, you know, uh, it, it's okay to say Duterte too, because uh, Sarah Duterte is also leading the polls. Um, she has around 53% also a majority, right? So she is, uh, so uh, because, um, but it's not yet sure. And this is why you see in the Philippines, because unlike in Indonesia, whoever you vote for president, you're also automatically voting for the vice president, right? We don't have that. We can split tickets, meaning I may vote for Bongbong Marcos, but I could vote for someone else and not Sarah. And the vice president, okay. Right. And in our history, it's, all, it's very rare that uh, the president and the vice president came from the same ticket. It only happened once since 1986. It was in 2004 with Arroyo and uh, her running mate winning. But Sarah Duterte also right now, I think, is also trying to put her name in combination. So uh, right now we have what we call the ROSA tandem. R-O-S-A. R-O stands for Robredo. S-A stands for Sarah. And Rosa is the Filipino word for pink, for rose, which is the color of the Robredo campaign. Right? Ah. So in other words, Sarah Duterte might be playing this game wherein she is, yes, she is trying. She might be, it's too, it's harsh to call it betrayal. Is she betraying Marcos? But 
because our system allows it, she's very much open to being paired with other presidential candidates, right? No, no, nobody else is, um, who, who else, who is running as the VP of Lenny at this point? Ah, it's also an incumbent senator, uh, Francis uh, Pangilinan, who is currently polling third. The second placer in the vice presidential surveys is the incumbent Senate president. Um, uh, Ferdinand, uh, no, no, uh, Vicente Soto, who is the running mate of Senator Ping Lapso. Ah, okay. So Sarah's main, main adversary in, in the vice presidential candidate is the Senate uh, president. Uh, Soto, I think he's polling around uh, 25%, so half of, of Sarah's numbers. Wow. So three individuals to watch for, actually, not just one or two. Mm -hmm. And um, do you think there, there's a chance that Soto finally can become... Can, can, can beat Sarah in the... Yeah, it, it, might Sarah. Be, right, right. it might be difficult simply because Sarah Duterte is really quite popular and that has something to do with the popularity of the father. But uh, Dina, I, I, I forgot to say that at this moment with four to five weeks left, President Duterte has not endorsed any presidential candidate. This has never happened in our post-martial law history in the Philippines because outgoing presidents often endorse a candidate. But Duterte, I think, is playing a hedging game. He doesn't want to commit because that's his hedge, meaning whoever wins, then he can say, well, I didn't really throw any support from anyone. But um, it, would, it would be easier for him to just endorse Marcos, right? Given that Marcos is running with his daughter. But he has refused to do that. And earlier in the campaign, he actually said some pretty bad things about Marcos Jr., who, who used to be his ally um, uh, in 2016 when he was running for president. And um, this might shock your, your listeners, but among the things he said is that Marcos is a spoiled brat. Um, Marcos is weak, a weak leader. He, he's a communist. That is the, but that's, not, that's only the second worst thing that can come out from Duterte. He did allude to Marcos as being a drug addict. Oh. Yeah. Wow, very personal attack, huh? And, and for, for a president who's notorious for his bloody war on drugs, right? For him to accuse that. So, uh, but he didn't mention Marcos Jr., but everyone knew because he said, oh, there's someone running for president who's a cocaine addict. He said like that. So, um, so in a way that, I think it's part of his, for me, it's part of his distrust. He believes that the Marcoses cannot be totally trusted and should not be handed the presidency. Because okay. let's remember, the last time this family had the presidency, they, will, they had to be extracted from power by people power. <laughs> and they stayed longer than they were welcome. They stayed for 21 years. So this is why the fears that you were saying earlier that there's been, they're not totally unfounded. But because on the basis of history, unfortunately for the Marcoses, 
there's a lot of distrust even coming from authoritarian figures yeah, like Duterte, right? And and uh, it's is it true that usually the younger generation, low uh, age age uh, thirty and below, supports Bombos? Well, that's that for me. I think um, from from the last survey, they did say that a lot of Gen Z and millennials. And uh, a lot of the pundits explain this because, well, they, they did not live during martial law. And so they, they have, and, and they've been convinced by fake news and disinformation that this is the golden age of the Philippines, which is, of course, you know, uh, totally untrue. And on the basis of evidence uh, and historical fact, the Philippine economy and the Philippines by, in general uh, were not, was not in a good shape during martial law. But I do think that uh, the youth vote might be able to be, uh, some of them might be convinced to vote against Marcos. And um, as, because, you know, there's one thing that I also failed to mention, that Marcos Jr. has refused to even debate, to go on TV and debate with the other candidates. He has refused. He said that um, uh, the journalists are biased or... Uh, I'm busy, uh, or I would rather talk to the people directly rather than engage in debates. And this has something to do with um, the way that he was uh, ganged up by the other candidates when he was running for vice president in 2016. I think that traumatized him, and he believed that he will just be asked tough questions about his father, about the past, about the fact that he is a convicted tax evader. Oh. And and uh, because he failed to... To, to pay his income tax because he was governor of a province in the last years of martial law. And, and this is, this is the, I think, the one that we'll figure out in the remaining weeks of the campaign. Our internal revenue agency, the one that, you know this, the Bureau of Internal Revenue, the one that collects taxes, collects taxes has, yeah. has actually uh, made public a letter they sent to the Marcoses that they owe the government estate taxes amounting to don't hold your breath uh, 4 billion US dollars wow that's a lot of money right so and that's around like a flap on the face <laughs> yes that's that's 203 billion pesos so now all the other presidential candidates have been using it in their campaigns pressuring marcos to recognize this and to pay up especially because of the pandemic because uh, the debt of the Philippines, uh, foreign and domestic debt are of the highest. And Duterte has been saying, we have no money, we have no money. We spend it all on vaccines and on the pandemic response. So now there's more pressure to, for the Marcoses to pay up. But here's the catch. Every court ruling asking the Marcoses to pay up uh, in the U.S., in Switzerland, in the Philippines, the Marcoses has never paid. They refuse because they refuse to acknowledge <laughs> court rulings. Because I think if they acknowledge one, they will have to acknowledge the rest. Right? And no. the fear is that if, if he becomes president, that will all be erased. Yeah. Wow. It's, um, it's, there, there are new things that you learn uh, beyond what the media is telling you. So maybe my last question in this segment is, what can other democracies learn from the Philippines facing this 2022 election, Aris? Right, right, right. 
I, I can think of at least three. First is that uh, democracies, especially those with an authoritarian past, will always have the threat of authoritarian nostalgia because democracy is such a messy system and, uh, and democracies are never firmly established uh, in the beginning, right? Uh, you know this in Indonesia and in the Philippines, we've been striving to better our democracy for almost more than three decades now, but we still haven't gotten to it because the struggle is real and it will be protracted. So uh, the threat of the comeback of authoritarians must be uh, expected and anticipated. And I do think in Indonesia, you know what I'm talking about because I think in your next electoral cycle, he may not be the son, but he's the son-in-law, right? And, and, and it's almost like we're, we're on the same page. Uh, the second is the role of disinformation and fake news. That uh, this is a real threat to democracies. And I think this is, an, this is a, a malady, a bad side of politics that we are seeing everywhere uh, that has allowed social media platforms not to be regulated and, and to just really conduct their business uh, because they don't really care about what happens to the countries that they're allowed to operate. All they care about is profit, right? So unless countries do something about it, social media will destroy the integrity of facts. And with, if, if facts are destroyed, then truth is destroyed. And then you can make up any kind of truth that you want. Finally, I think that um, what happens to the Philippines in terms of elections will have repercussions outside the Philippines. If a Marcos is put in place, that will have an impact in ASEAN, that will have an impact in Southeast Asia, that will, happen, that will matter because remember, when Rodrigo Duterte was elected in 2016, nobody thought that he could be quite an important figure in this strategic competition between the US and China. If we elected a president that was more willing to uh, face China head to head, then the region would have been different, right? If we have a president that allowed more U.S. Pres presence or more uh, presence of Western allies or other allies that will uphold international law and, and other principles, we might have a less aggressive, less powerful China than we have right now. So what I'm saying is that elections are not only domestic uh, exercises that have domestic consequences. And I do believe that your upcoming elections will surely have an impact also in, in, in my country's foreign policy, in the, foreign po in the policies of ASEAN, and basically in our regional um, strategic environment. That's that's a, a strong closing, which I think should bring us all reflecting that um, the current situation globally, the competition between the major powers should uh, be part of our reflection. Every time we do the election, vote for someone, uh, not only we have to remember the history and not to repeat the bad mistakes that we have had in our country, but beware, yeah? 
whoever we choose, they must decide for the fate of not only the country, but the region. <laughs> Definitely. Because, right. In ASEAN, we are not standing alone. We have other countries to bring together on. Okay, Aris, I think I learned so much uh, from you. Hopefully, the, all the listeners also agree, viewers agree that uh, not only uh, we our knowledge is enriched today, but uh, if you feel like there's something else you need to uh, to know, you wish to know about the Philippines, please uh, please feel free to write me in the comments. Uh, you can write in Bahasa Indonesia as well, feel free. And I can only thank you so much, Aris, for uh, sharing with me your uh, experience and knowledge about the Philippines politics. Thank you very much again for the invitation, Dina. And uh, uh, I hope your, your listeners have a lot of takeaways and uh, uh, they, they learn something from their uh, neighbor up north. Stay safe, yeah, Philippines. Sure. Stay safe, too. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Once again, our podcast is available at YouTube and Spotify at Nyambung with Dina Proptora Harja. Uh, make sure to send us uh, your questions or your thoughts uh, through YouTube comment section. And if you enjoy the episode, don't forget to like, share the link to your community and subscribe so you make sure you don't miss our contents because we post every week.